You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. If sleeping in a bucket is on your bucket list, then you're in the right place. Because it's Monday night. It is 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Eastern Time, it is 10 p.m. And that means it's time for Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm Holly Amos, and tonight we are continuing our review of Star Trek Picard Season 3 with Episode 4, No Win Scenario. As always, we want to hear from you in the Facebook chat and live with us. You know what to do. Click on the Zoom link or give us a ring by using the one tap from your smartphone, or you can call us at 669-900-6833, enter the meeting code and the password that you see in the show notes. So it's great to have everyone here. Holly, it's great to see you. Can you tell us like a little bit about your new setup? Because I think it's it's fabulous. And I think everyone in the audience is probably trying to pick out what's going on behind you. I'm at the Roddenberry offices. <laughs> <laughs> so and I, your interpretive not, dance means? Uh, these lights are motion censored, so I have to, to keep them on. <laughs> but I picked this room because there's so many cool things on like that they have on display. Uh, so yeah, let's look at all of the things. There's a bat list. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's gorgeous. And, uh, thanks for showing us, uh, your background, but in case Holly's lights dim, uh, that's just an homage to Titan lighting versus say JJ Abrams, 2009 lighting. So you're getting the best of both worlds here. JJ Apple store. And then when the lights go off, I look like I'm on yeah, the Titan bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's say hi to everyone who's in the chat because the chat's going off tonight, which it always is. And, and we're very thankful for that. So I don't know. I, I asked you this, Holly, before we got on the air. Uh, for some reason, your dad always manages to have number one in the chat position. So hello, Bob Amos. And your mom's here, too. So hello, Mom Amos. Oh, hello. <laughs> you don't do you not remember. <laughs> hello, Bob and Margie. I didn't my get parents. that formal. I know Bob. I, I can call Bob out because his name's in the chat. Uh, hello, Mark. Thanks for being here. Cosmo. Uh, one of the Pauls, we have Paul Harvith here. Hope you're feeling better. Uh, you said you're a little under the weather. so And I know it's snowing up where you are, so that's not so great. Uh, what is great, we have Jane here. And we have, let's see if another Paul is here. No, but we have John Arminio. Uh, thanks for being here, John. Missed saying the last name Arminio for a while. We have James here, James Young. We have Jim, Jim McMahon, David, uh, Brett. Thank you for being here. Uh, we have another Paul, Paul Wright, Paul Dubbs. So we have two. Holly is still doing her interpretive dance to make sure that we have the proper lighting in her background. Uh, Michael Allen, uh, Dave, a lot of familiar faces. Heather, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks, uh, everyone, for for tuning in. Carlos. Uh, Champion says hello from and down the hall. He's literally Gussie. down the hall from me. I think he's actually messing with your lighting. So don't believe a word he says if he's not. I really do think he is. And we also have Paul Troutwine here. So we do have our Paul Fecta here, the trifecta of Paul's, which is obviously awesome all the time, every time. Uh, yeah, we have a lot going on, on on Mission Log this week, as we always do. You know, uh, our Thursday show is going to be dropping this week with Futures End Part 1 and 2. So we're, we've yeah. took both episodes and combined them into one little bit of a supersized episode. But it's... um. It was fun. It's like it's either Star Trek the Voyager home or Voyager Star Trek the Voyager home. It's very the Star Trek the Voyage home esque, right? That's the episode. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh it's it's a great two part episode. Yeah, it's fun. Um we had a lot, a lot of fun doing it, a lot of fun breaking it down, uh, a lot of fun seeing like 90s tech, 90s fashion, and what passes for a microcomputer back in 1996. Yeah. So, all that kind of fun. <laughs> oh, my lights just came back on. Great. Okay. <laughs> Holly, how many lights are there? I don't know. Your, are there at least four? <laughs> I'm feeding you the best line in like Star Trek history. No, I'm looking. There are four lights, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, speaking of bright, speaking of bright lights, there's a big bright light that's going on with Mission Log in terms of our YouTube channel. So did you know, Holly, and people out there, did you know that Mission Log the Orville and Mission Log Prodigy are available as podcasts and videos? And if you didn't know that, you're going to have to check out what's going on with our new content. So if you want to catch up on recent episodes like the upcoming Mission Log the Orville interview dropping this Wednesday, March 15th with composer Joel McNeely. He That's talks, cool. Yeah, right. He talks everything from the Orville to Young Indiana Jones with Captain Mike and Jessica Lynn Verdi. 
You don't want to miss it. So make sure you go to youtube.com forward slash Roddenberry Entertainment and subscribe to Mission Log the Orville so that you get all the notifications and you'll be good. You'll, you'll know when that interview happens on March 15th. And of course, make sure that you stay in touch with all of our podcasts at podcasts.roddenberry.com. Are you excited about this episode? I'm excited to get to this episode recap. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> you said that you <laughs> kept it pretty condensed, so we're going to find out. I tried, but uh, <laughs> I was telling Holly this off the air and I, and, and in a little bit of a text exchange with Earl and John, I said, you know what? It's really difficult trying to get these new style of uh, new Star Trek episodes, like recapped really short. It's not like doing, say, like, you know, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, where I don't think the episodes are like as dense because these episodes no, no, are no, no, no. Dense, right? Well, because they were bottle episodes with, you know, A storyline and B storyline. And this is a different way of storytelling, right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on and a lot of loose ends that they're going to have to wrap up, which has been the case with the last few seasons of several of the shows. So we'll see how it works out. Oh, here we go with Star Trek Picard, season three, episode four, no win scenario. Oh, wait a second. I got to do this because I can't really see my script. So this is uh, John Champion. This fashion statement is for you. There we go. All right. Five years ago, Admiral Picard sits down to lunch at the 10 Forward Avenue bar and is approached by a group of very young cadets whose questions he assuages with some sage advice. No matter how bleak or unwinnable the situation, as long as they remain steadfast in their dedication to one another, they are never without hope. In the present, acting Captain Riker is neck deep in no-win scenario decisions to keep the Titans' power online for as long as possible. He then visits Picard's quarters and confesses to Jean-Luc when he and Deanna buried their son Thaddeus, it filled him with an inconsolable emptiness. Riker advises Picard to make whatever peace he needs with Jack Crusher, because this may be the end for all of them. Meanwhile, Seven discovers the body of Ensign Foster hidden in his quarters and reports to Riker, who surprisingly orders her to keep quiet about this and to try and flush out the changeling in an unofficial, unofficial capacity, since she is still at this time relieved of duty. She then reluctantly meets with Shaw, who tells her that even though changelings perfectly look the part, they don't get all the finer details quite right. He also tells her to find the changelings regeneration receptacle thing, which would have traces of residue for analysis, which would help the ship's sensors find the shapeshifter. And after making short work of Foster's quarters, Seven finds a small Bajoran-style vase hidden in one of the light fixtures. In sickbay, Picard finds Beverly, and with just a look, she knows the situation is bleak. Picard asks her if he can steal Jack for a moment and takes him to the holodeck, specifically Picard's 10 Forward Avenue program. Over a few whiskeys, Jean-Luc and Jack try to catch up on so much lost time between them. On the Shrike, Vatic make contact with her superiors. She slices off her own hand, which then turns into what looks like tissue similar to a changeling. It flows before Vatic, morphs into a face of sorts, and orders the pursuit of Jack Crusher at all costs. Back on the Titan, Picard finds himself explaining how he and Jack's namesake, Beverly's husband, managed to survive a 10-hour slog of flying blind in a stolen shuttlecraft back to the Stargazer, after a joyride to keep a romantic interlude went horribly sideways. When Shaw appears, he makes sure that in all in earshot know when he and Picard first met. It was the Battle of Wolf 359, and Shaw survived by sheer dumb luck as he was one out of 10 out of 50 to be picked to board the USS Constance's remaining life pod. Shaw made sure that everyone knew that it was Picard, as Locutus of Borg, who was responsible for 11,000 dead, and he was the only Borg so deadly they gave him his own name. Picard diffuses the situation by leaving, along with Jack, who follows after him. On her way to have the residue analyzed, Seven is attacked by the actual changeling, who, after being hit by Seven's phaser fire, manages to escape into the wall vents. After leaving 10 forward, Picard and Jack run into Beverly, who tells him that the energy spikes hitting the ship are actual pregnancy contractions coming from the nebula itself. Jack believes they can ride these waves in lieu of having no power. Trying to sell Riker on this, he thinks that the idea is too risky, but Beverly convinces him that because they are all together again, the one thing that they are best at is trusting each other and working together. And with that, Riker comes around and sets the plan in motion. Picard and Seven persuade Shaw to help, needing his old grease monkey skills to pry open the warp nacelle covers. As Shaw dismantles the nacelle venting controls, he tells Seven that this would be the right place and time for the changeling to strike. 
Seven contacts Riker, who acknowledges her concerns, but returns his attention to making sure all the details are ready for riding this energy wave because they only have enough power for one shot. And with all systems ready, Riker steps aside and gives Picard the center chair since he's the only one on board with any experience flying blind. Shaw has two minutes to finish his assignment before the next energy pulse. He's nearly finished when LaForge arrives to help. She is immediately met by Seven's phaser and is instantly killed when she addresses Seven as Commander Hansen. A detail that the Changeling didn't know about, the real LaForge, who would have called her Commander Seven. Out of respect. Nice. With warp covers exposed and all remaining power diverted to the engines, the shockwave finally hits and pushes the Titan uncontrollably forward uncontrollably forward. Picard and Jack use sensors to help LaForge maneuver around several large asteroids in their way so that they wouldn't lose the wave's momentum. As the cascading pulse pushes them to safety, warp power is also being charged as well. However, right before they are about to leave the nebula, the Shrike is standing by to intercept. Riker orders, Riker orders LaForge to tractor beam one of the asteroids behind them. He then orders the Titans to cut engine power and the tractor beam, slinging the asteroid right into the Shrike, which suffers massive damage, forcing Vatic to withdraw. For now. Once out of the nebula, the crew watched in wonder as it gave birth to a multitude of jellyfish-like life forms. The kind Beverly reminds all of why they are out here in the first place, to seek out new life. And with that, Riker orders all hands to boldly get the hell out of here. The Changeling saboteur is dead, the Shrike is crippled, and the Titan is returning home. Riker finds a quiet moment to tell Deanna how this last mission has changed him for the better. Picard's recent memories of Ten Forward allowed him to remember that Jack was there and did try to reach out to him, that one moment when he told the cadets that Starfleet was the only family he ever needed. And Jack, well, the nightmares and red visions continue as he stares anxiously at the mirror in his quarters while a voice whispers to him, find me. The end. Dun, dun, dun. And the first kind of arc of this this particular season comes to a close. Awaiting the next yeah, I was I, I was thinking that I kind of felt like them getting out of this particular scenario happened too quickly. But I, on, on the flip side of that, I always feel like when they stretch something like that out for the entirety of the 10 episodes, I get bored. So <laughs> I'm contradicting myself, but I, I, f- I feel like maybe we could have gone one more episode with them being stuck there and it would mm. maybe it would have been better. Um, but to like have to have this be the main problem dragged out over like the 10 episodes, I, I would have gotten bored. So probably a little bit too long. Yeah. And now yeah. we get the experience, say, how they're going to resolve Rafi and Worf and how they're going to bring them into the picture, how they're going to bring, well, Brent Spiner into the picture, yeah, how they're going to bring Deanna seen... into the picture. So, right. They're, you well, know, we saw and... Deanna a little bit on this. I mean, she was on a video screen, but, we, you know, we finally got to see her a little bit more. Yeah. I wonder if they're all going to, like, eventually be on screen all together. You know, I, I think that I don't think that Terry Metalis would, like, deny us that one scene. Uh, uh, I I would hope not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we because, get to see them all together. Because they're doing a, a great job right now of kind of like doing these little disparate stories. And then all of a sudden, somewhere along in the climax, it's going to be all of them working together. Kind of like what Beverly was saying, as long as we're all together, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. There's, you know, there's no way we can lose hope, but there's nothing that we can't overcome. That that feels so very Star Trek again, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense. And I found that just an incredibly beautiful moment. Also, she kind of like Miyagi Riker in a way when she brought up Deanna saying like, look, I know you're feeling desperate, but Deanna would say, trust in all of us. And I like how that turned him around. Um, I know we have a couple uh, callers already in line and, and we're going to get to him in a second, but I have to ask you and I'm going to ask everyone else here a question. Is Jonathan Frakes living his best Star Trek life right now? <laughs> right? Um, yes. Because directing-wise, the last two episodes have been some of the best of the newest Star Trek that I've seen. And in this episode, I'm not ashamed to say this, there were a couple times where I was flat out crying because of the depth that he brought out of Riker. Yeah, so one of the things in this episode that I took a note on that I really connected with, and I feel like his directing of these two episodes 
are a result of these care. Like these are some of the best episodes that he's directed, in my opinion, simply because he's dealing with characters that a he knows really well, but that everybody knows really well because they've been with us for you know thirty plus years. One of the things I really liked about this this episode is Riker essentially saying that he doesn't believe in an afterlife. Um, when his when Thaddeus died, he essentially told Picard like I I didn't. I didn't feel anything in terms of like comfort because I don't really believe in an afterlife. That's I don't either. And so I, that comfort, I, I connected with him on that. Oh, my lights went off again. I'm just going to leave them <laughs> off. Um, right. I connected with him on that from the, from that standpoint, because I, I don't have that comfort either. And so when, when I have to deal with, you know, questions of grief and stuff like that, it's, it's there, there is no comfort. And I, so I, I understand what he meant. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's such an interesting contrast where you take a character like his or take any of them, you know, in the Star Trek universe, and they're out there exploring, seeking out strange new life and new civilizations. And they're seeing things that are unexplainable, that things that, that are, are beyond like comprehension. So you would believe that there would be something past the veil. And they doesn't believe it. And I think that's the most heartbreaking thing because after he saw what happened to Thaddeus, that mortality that's so finite, everything mm-hmm. is just either it's it's very binary. It either exists or it doesn't. Right. Right. After he's spent his entire career out there, you know, among the stars, seeing things that are unexplainable. Right. And that's that really just it, it kind of shifted everything when you're really thinking about who he is now and then where he's starting to reemerge from after all this despair. It's an incredible character arc really that's going on for him. Um, I want to get to one or two more things before I get to uh, our first caller, Chris, thanks for being patient with us, but let's talk about the F bomb controversy again. Yeah. And, and why <laughs> I mean, it's not, uh, it, for, I don't care either way. I see how it's controversial for people, but I, it, I, they were on network TV and they couldn't use it. And I feel like there was a lot of scenarios that would have warranted bad language, frustrated mm-hmm. language, and they just couldn't because of the network. The, the, it feels um, more organic to me, actually, to have the characters say use profanity words yeah yeah the strange thing is and it's kind of like when you look at say the arguments so you know there are there are people out there you know with their comments saying that not in our chat our chat is wonderful uh but in say on social media saying okay why can't they write more creatively why do they have to use profanity but then they use examples of look at how these other properties created their own language to use profanity But that just says that you want to use profanity, you're just not allowed to by, say, rules and regulations. But if you could, you would, because you're writing something to use profanity, even though it's disguised as another language. Firefly was notorious for it. You know, Joss Whedon wrote all of his scripts using Chinese or Mandarin or some form of like future Chinese to swear up and down every episode because Mm -hmm. it gets past censors. But they're real profanity in other languages. Same thing as merda. You know, as as Picard has used several times because yes. it's a different language, but it's still profanity, right? Right. This uh, this the show's also like obviously it would be controversial if you know Prodigy threw an f bomb in there because it's a children's show. But like this is not a children's show either, and I I think that you know this is supposed to be the future of of us like this isn't a made-up world in terms of like you know in a galaxy far far away a long time ago (laughs) this is supposed (laughs) to be this is supposed to be us a few hundred years from now right so it feels organic that the characters would use that kind of language as as people in the chat are saying colorful metaphors exactly yeah (laughs) so you know it's just it's an interesting thing that it's um that you know that that controversy has lasted this far into knowing the product, you know, this is the product of this particular series using this particular uh, direction, you know, in the writing, but you know, that's neither here nor there. It's just something that, you know, just interesting to talk about. I still find it fascinating that it's a discussion point, Uh, but Hey, you know what? 
That's just me. That's just you, Holly. Let's see what our first caller has to say. Thank you for being patient, Chris. Welcome back. Good to see you. Good to see you, my man. Yeah, I, know, man. I do want to talk about some other stuff, but just really quickly on the profanity thing. I think it's interesting to note that Patrick ad-libbed that. Like, that wasn't right. in the script. He was just sort of in the moment it came out, and Terry Metalis and, like, in the editing room was like, no, that was good. That was authentic. Just sort of that speaks to, like, yes, it is a thing that happens. And right. So, yeah, just wanted to put that out there in case people hadn't heard that, because I thought it was interesting that that was Patrick and not the writers. So... We're we're at this looking over at this entire arc, say, of four episodes, you know, and, and if you can call it, I think it's an arc. I think, you know, it's coming to a conclusion that's going into the next chapter. What are your thoughts, Chris? I know that, uh, you know, you're you're pretty diligent you know, in your viewing and, and you, you know, you watch episode and you, um, you know, you take notes and you study and you, you pay attention. So where are you at with it right now or how are you feeling about it? I am I am very much enjoying myself. I'm enjoying seeing everyone back and seeing that like time has passed. You can sort of feel the weight of history, not just in Picard, but also in Riker and Gates. And I will also say I just love Shaw. Like Shaw might be my new Ugh. favorite character of the new people. I was waiting for us to learn what that psychological profile comment was about and the Wolf three five nine. That's mm-hmm. probably one of the, I mean, it explains so much about him. It explains why he has disdain toward Picard. It explains why he has disdain toward Seven. Like, it explains so much with one scene. No, I love one, it. I love it. That was story. Also, it's like, it's, that was like the obvious answer, right? Is everyone, even in episode one, people like, oh, maybe he was at Wolf 359. And I think it's credit to Todd that he took the, you know, quote unquote, obvious, you know, answer and just gave that beautiful monologue you're Mm -hmm. like i get chills every time you're like man that is that is good stuff yeah i really like shaw i think he's on a path to redemption but i am yeah this has been a good sort of opening arc and i'm curious to see what the next three or four are to go four four and then maybe two as an epilogue we'll see i don't know i was waiting for uh Mm. I was going to ask both of you, do you guys think that Shaw is too emotionally compromised to be a captain right now, though? That's That's a good question. Because that's always that's always something that's being questioned, right? Like if you are too emotionally compromised, you have to step down. I mean, is he only is he only emotionally compromised because Picard is on board? That's the and, thing, right? Well, is not like, just Picard, though. Seven, too. I mean, obviously, Wolf 359 was was Picard, but Seven is a former Borg. I, I, think, I think before Picard, I think he was maybe vindictive, and he was maybe prejudicial, but I don't know that he was necessarily compromised. And I think seeing Picard just sort of cracked him open in a way he was not prepared to be. And so maybe he is, but I mean, he's just, he's so fascinating. It's, it's why I like him. He's like, there is no easy answer with Shaw. You just have to keep going back and looking at it again and again. When I learned that Shaw is an engineer, it put a lot of things in place for me. And I, this is not a slight or any shade to engineers, but I, I, the people, friends of mine that were engineers, they explained why they like engineers in Star Trek and why they like gravitating towards engineer personalities, because they like things that are orderly, that function, that make sense, you know, that have a specific A to B through line that they don't like things when, um, when they have, you know, when things are, uh, there are mishaps or mistakes or they like things very, very, very clockwork like, and look at what happened to Shaw as soon as Picard and Riker stepped onto his ship for nefarious reasons, you know, for ulterior motives, his entire life got turned upside down sideways backwards everything aside from like orderly right and yes yeah he sure he sure did show like um uh prejudicial treatment to seven that's absolutely sure and that's where he's at fault but everything since then all he wanted to do was wake up do federation day go about his business and run his ship (laughs) and now 500 uh, lives of his own crewmen are on the line. You know, he's been critically injured and has been healed thanks to Beverly. Everything about him in his life has been turned upside down just because someone else interfered with his life. Someone else put a kink in the works of his perfectly fine day. You know, now a captain should be able to adjust to that. But at the same time, though, he's dealing with a lot, right? You know, he's literally dealing with the enemy of the Federation 20 feet away from him. 
you know, face to face. And how do you reconcile like all of that and kind of shoulder everything that's happening to his world at the same time? Right. I know that we expect a lot from the paragon of the captain. Right. But I think that also should be kind of, uh, kind of segued into the paragon of the captain of the lead actor of a series, as opposed to a captain that's in the Federation of a ship. Right. I think that's different. You know, it's like, we're not talking about Archer. We're not talking about Janeway, right? Those, those discussions probably would have a little bit more weight and merit when it comes to mm-hmm. like personality shifts. We're talking to a captain we've never heard before. Probably is, is, is perfectly fine saying, I just don't want to be in the spotlight. I want to run a tight ship and I want it to be clean. I want my floors to be super shiny right, and go about my day. <laughs> so he sounds like I feel like I would be like that if I was a captain. Like I don't want any surprises. I just want things to be neat and tidy and orderly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's that's kind of like you know what I understand that we hold the captain's characters up to a certain level, but I also think that he's a great way of showing that no two captains are the same, and that there are extenuating circumstances that may affect the captain that not everyone knows about. Not even say if they were cleared, you know, by Starfleet to be able to serve in that role. I think that shows that I think that drives a lot of empathy towards the character. Um, but that again, that's just. That's just no. I definitely, I character. definitely agree with you. I also, I think it's worth noting that Shaw is essentially our first post Dominion War captain that we've really spent time with, and I think because of that, he sort of represents sort of the way the Federation has, you know, fallen off. And I think we're going to see through him the way we sort of step back into the light by the end of the season. Is that yeah. he starts here so that he can move forward and he can improve. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. There's a, there's a lot of people in the chat pointing out that Shaw did step down, but mm. he did not step down for any sort of emotionally compromised reasons. He stepped down because he was catastrophically injured, yeah. which is different. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he said that Riker is going to be Captain Pro Tem. Uh, he had uh, basically his shin was sticking out of his leg and he was yeah. about to bleed to death. So if you could see that, because the lighting was a little on the darker Dark? side. So just a little, just a little. Um, <laughs> was one of my notes is I wish the bridge was brighter. I get the moody lighting, but I liked being able to see the actors. <laughs> we got time for like one last comment from you, Chris, and we're going to be able to move on to our next caller. Um, I think I saw this right. Uh, when the very, the scene when Seven comes in to talk to Shaw and about like the changeling before she comes in, he's sharpening his knife on his cast, I think, which is just very hardcore. Like, Power move. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. uh and that knife, that was that was no butter knife. That was a heavy so. knife too. I was like, man, you, okay. All right, get it. <laughs> well, he's from Chicago. Maybe he's gonna use that to cut his deep dish pizza. Who knows? All right. <laughs> I love that he's from Chicago because Todd is from Chicago. Yeah. He's leaning yeah. into his Chicagoan really <laughs> yeah. heavily, which is great. Yeah. Um all right, Chris. Well, thanks for calling in. Appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. And uh Looking forward to seeing you again. All right. See you around. All righty. So um, before we're close to the the bottom half of the hour, so I'm going to take this opportunity now before, because I don't want to cut Cosmo off in the middle of his call. I really don't want to do that. So I'm going to jump right into talking about one of our sponsors for this episode, and that is Star Trek Spirits. Now, for Holly, for you, and for, say, the rest of our audience, going all the way back to, say, episode two, Disengage. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that wonderful shot of Ed Splaris, Jack Crusher, trying to bribe the Fenris Ranger with what? Nice. Well, some so, some nice alcohol. Yeah. So those were like really wonderful close-up shots, screen accurate shots of Romulan ale. And yep. our friends at Star Trek Spirits, well, they produce a screen accurate replica of that Romulan ale bottle. And it's filled with either one of two spirits. You can either get an incredible Romulan rye, you know, which is just like a, a wonderful, high quality mesh bill of, of a rye. And then you also have the vodka. And remember, these bottles, you know, they are screen accurate. They're limited edition bottles. They're individually numbered. 
it and it, it's taken them years to make and produce yeah. like how good these bottles are. You can see it in the graphics package that Earl is flashing across the screen right now. And you can see how different the colors are. You have kind of like this midnight blue screen accurate Romulan rye, which is kind of blue you saw in the Enterprise incident when Spock was mm-hmm. having his drinks, you know, with Romulan commander or say like the Romulan vodka, which you kind of like saw like in Star Trek six when they're all having dinner together and the Romulan ale was a little more on the paler side. Uh, each one of these has been custom designed because they have been working together. They, meaning Star Trek spirits, have been working together with Star Trek prop masters yeah. to, uh, and, and using the original designs to get that front artwork gold they, foil stamped application accurate. They spent so much time on it, too, because I saw a couple of uh, of their steps but when they were actually developing the bottles and fine-tuning them. And they spent a lot of time on it. They paid very close attention to detail. Yeah. So also, it's very special about this bottle. And you could probably see it if you look at the graphics package right now. You can see that they're being picked up by the really uh, just incredibly well-engineered, they call it a Vino seal glass topper. So it keeps that angel's share from escaping the bottle so that uh, you don't lose too much of that wonderful spirit inside. And uh, there's not more, I mean, I can say, but I can gush about this for the rest of the episode. But if you really want to take a look at it, go to StarTrekSpirits.com today for either the Romulan Ale Vodka or the Romulan Rye or both. You can take 10% off your order with the special code Roddenberry at checkout. That's at StarTrekSpirits.com. And if you want to go that extra mile and make sure that you get another screen accurate item, you can go to Toink.com and you can say, use the tumblers that they have there that accompany this wonderful federation decanter you can display your romulan ale or your romulan vodka with with those and also if you take a look at the the glasses that jack and uh jean-luc are using in this episode to drink their irish whiskey those are the same tumblers that they sell mm. on twink.com with that decanter. very heavy very heavy yeah. very thick glass really beautifully designed So there you go. Make your stuff screen accurate. You can collect the stuff that you actually see on screen using uh, Toink.com and their uh, 15% off discount when you use the code Roddenberry. And then, of course, StarTrekSpirits.com. You can take 10% off your order with that same code Roddenberry. Thanks, everyone, for listening to that. I hope you enjoy the products that you're eventually going to order because I know you want to. All right. (laughs) I have them. I I have both of them. I've enjoyed them. They're fantastic. Uh, I actually have to recharge my... uh, my stock. All right, let's get to Cosmo. Thanks, Cosmo, for being patient. And uh, what's going on in the background of your screen? That's amazing. I've got a this, starship. Uh, yeah, James wanted to show off his Playmates Enterprise 1701. Awesome. And it's pretty darn cool. It's surprisingly well made. Uh, push the button, James. Screen it's accurate got- sounds and lights. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm really impressed, and it was under 40 bucks. I mean, that's what I was paying back in my childhood for the TNG toys. So, really cool toy. Thank you, Love James. Love it. Thank you, James. <laughs> Good to see you, buddy. Alexa, right. been like 30. Um, so, just wanted to. There we go. Got my Titan Ooh, lights. Titan lighting. Yes. <laughs> I put in like five. Uh, so, I just wanted to weigh in on the uh, the language thing, and. Uh, I'm a former football coach and former bouncer at some really bad nightclubs. So I'm used to profanity and I've enjoyed a Quentin Tarantino movie or two. Uh, so that doesn't normally bug me, but it has been rubbing me wrong in this season of Picard. And I think I figured out why, because I, like Holly said, they were on broadcast television. They couldn't. Um, but, that doesn't change the fact we had 170 hours plus the movies with these characters. And so hearing a character like Picard dropping F-bombs just is uncharacteristic. Now, if you want to have Michael Burnham drop cussing, she's a new character, relatively new character. And, you know, that then it's not out of character. And um, just... It, <sighs> You know, they could have had him swear in First Contact. That's a movie. I think they're allowed one F-bomb a movie or SH-bombs. And, you know, in that scene where he gets mad at Worf and says, I'm not going to effing blow up the ship. That wouldn't have rubbed me wrong. Um, 
and it, not a big deal. Uh, I'm really enjoying the season, but, uh, you know, Shaw saying some foul language. Again, he's a new character, so it's not out of character for him. Um, and we go back to, like, Voyager. You know, if Tom Paris, he would not surprise me that on the holodeck in that uh, French bar, he's, you know, got a sailor mouth. But there's some Sandrine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't imagine Catherine Janeway talking like that. And same thing with Jean-Luc. So it, it's just the characters. And um, uh, Is it like hearing but, a lyric that's not supposed to be there? You know the song backwards and forwards and all of a sudden an interpretation of that song and someone adds like their own spin lyric on it. You're like, wait a second, that's not supposed to be there. And it just kind of, it kicks your brain like just out of it. Yeah. And and, uh, modern Star Trek has, uh, you know, set the precedence that we're on streaming. We're going to incorporate some language and I have have no problem with it. And uh, a lot of the writing has made the dialogue a little more modern and I don't have a, particular problem with that either but it does kind of like you said snap me back to modern reality and it'd Mm -hmm. be like if i was watching lord of the rings and gandalf you know instead of you shall not pass said you're not gonna (laughs) effing pass and you know that's gonna bring me back to modern and take me out of middle earth so again not a big deal Uh, i'm still really enjoying the season and uh like you said frakes has been the mvp so far he's been awesome it's he's been such a warm presence on screen and uh i'm just so delighted to have every minute with him and so same with Worf. dorn has such great comedic timing i mean (laughs) even on rewatches and you can see the lines coming but i still laugh every time he's just so gosh darn good and uh here i I'm so up for more Worf moving forward. If there is a spinoff, I know he's wanted the Captain Worf thing for a while, but here's my pitch. Um, after whatever is resolved here, Worf realizes the Federation still is in danger and he uh, gets involved with Section 31. And it's his mission to bring honor and a conscience to Section 31, mm. which has never happened. And okay. because he, you know, knew what Julian went through back in Deep Space Nine. And so he tries to reform Section 31 because he thinks it is still necessary, but not at the, the shady levels they were going through. So that that's my pitch for future Wharf. Does that mean it. that you we would want <laughs> that our Section 31 TV show would be Wharf instead of Georgiou, who... If you guys don't know, won an Academy Award last night. <laughs> yeah, I think she's like Shaw said, she's out of our pay grade now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of people are saying that, and I even said that yesterday. I, I uh, went to a cheese and cider tasting event with a friend of mine, and Ooh. was like, uh, if she, because we were talking about who we wanted to win, and I was like, I want her to win. If she wins, though, like I don't think Section Thirty One is going to happen, but we can have Section Thirty One with Worf. That's a great idea, right? <laughs> I dig it. I think one last thought I had uh, before I go. Um, you know, I, I know the uh, marketing team has to do marketing things, and as we look forward to the last six episodes, I really wish I didn't know Moriarty was coming. And right. I mean, I was super geeked when I saw him in the trailer, but now the fact that I know he's coming and that we have to fit uh, Brent Spiner in and we have to fit Moriarty. I just wish it. we were 95% of us were going to watch this no matter what. Mm-hmm. You just got to right. tell us, hey, the TNG cast is reuniting. I'm there. I don't need many more details. And so I just wish that hadn't been uh, shared with us. But oh. if I didn't if I didn't know that and because of the trailer and he just popped up in an episode as a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes stuff. And as a huge fan of those episodes specifically of TNG, I would have lost my mind. It is kind of disappointing that, that we know he's going to crop up at some point. Yeah. I, I mean, props if, them for keeping the changeling secret though, because that really, that right, was a good reveal. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it really was. But imagine if they had put that in the trailer, Worf saying in the trailer, how long have you been away from the great link? Yeah. You know, uh, so, but marketing's got a market. So, yeah, you know, the, the, it's it's an interesting tightrope that they're walking right now between again the uh, the fan base that 
that Terry Metalis definitely wants to, you know, to treat to like a lot of these cameos and a lot of these, uh, these references versus a new audience that you still have to tell a, you know, a complete, you know, and, uh, and, and robust story to. So I, I get it. I understand what you're saying. And, and I kind of wish a lot of these, you know, these uh, appearances came organically because now we're thinking about, okay, so when's Brent going to show up? You know, when's, you know, more already going to show up? When are their, when are their uh, cameos or appearances going to happen in the next five episodes or six episodes? Um, and that kind of maybe takes away from the, oh gosh, moment, you know, when they finally appear. Like, I didn't know that that was going to happen because the Changeling thing, I was like, what? I felt like Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio and that mean, like, there it is, there it is, right? There it is, there's the Changeling. So that was fun. And I, but I hope that the way that they do it, the, the execution of it is fun, you know, is earned, right? Because that's, even though we know it's coming, we don't know how, and maybe it's all about the how. And I think that'll be fun, you know, when it happens, if they do it right. And uh, so far, they're doing it pretty darn right, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Cosmo, uh, any last thoughts before we let you go? Uh, last thought, I really appreciate the uh, visual effects and the sound effects, especially the sound effects. Torpedoes sound like torpedoes. It's all very well done, a little bit futurized, but just there's nothing has stood out at me like, well, oh, that's a funny choice. It, it's all just been great. And uh, uh, bravo so far in the season. Yeah. And we got good old space jellyfish again. And they, yeah, we I, th- did. I think they're they're prettier than Encounter at Farpoint jellyfish. <laughs> Farpoint. thank you picard for the reference all right thanks cosmo thanks guys we'll talk to you later man good seeing you what's up alan what you got for us buddy what's happening oh yeah space jellyfish i understand that preference yes pop point pop point pop Pop point point. remember that (laughs) i haven't forgotten that part yet uh, yes first off we just got you guys just got talking got done talking about it but all hail the Empress. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Empress really is everywhere, all the time, doing everything. Yeah, all at once. All, at once. Yeah. all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so glad and, you won. And yeah, if it's, uh, I I don't know, if it costs us the Section 31 show, that's, oh, there we go. That's what, I mean, if we move, if we lose her, you know, for greater motion picture projects or something else. I yeah. think that's okay. I think that if section 31 moves forward, I think that the guys back, you know, the, the people back there uh, that are doing the work will find a way around it and hopefully give us something that's great, you know? Yeah. Because- you know, and if it's not, if it's not, you know, section 31 with her or section 31 with Worf, there could be, I mean, we still have, uh, Oh, I'm blanking on his name, but our guy from Discovery season one, our yeah, uh, our Klingon. Mm-hmm. yeah Shaz, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, he's so, there. Yeah, I mean, there's options, but uh, yep. yeah, but yeah, congratulations, well earned. Um, you know, this is the first time I watched the Oscars in a long time, and you know what? What? What do you know? They they nominate a film that I've seen and that I liked, and there you go. <laughs> That's the key. All we need to do is make sure that there are films out there that you've seen and you like, and exactly you're going to get your Oscar. So there you go. That's the key. That's the secret. Uh, you know, Alan, there's, yeah. I remember when we were talking to you about Picard earlier on and you were saying that it felt formulaic. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of like uh, extrapolating what you said from the first two episodes. Sure. Uh, you felt that there was a little bit of a formulaic thing that was going on that was concerning you. Do you think that you've gotten past that or we've gotten past that at this time, you know, wrapping up this arc? I think that this this episode in particular really sort of clicked into gear for me. Um, I it's sort of been a slow build up for me this season, and it's not like I didn't. It's not like I disliked those first couple episodes, but it was just sort of like you know, sort of a weird disconnect between what I was seeing and what I sort of got from the audience, maybe, or and what I was getting from the show. It's like, okay, where does this work? This feels like th- this is the show that I sort of was expecting, given everybody saying, oh, wow, this is great. You know, this is the best Star Trek for a while. I think this might have been the best episode of Picard, full stop, thus far, all three seasons. Anything in particular that elevated it to that level? 
Um, I liked, obviously, you know, you guys mentioned the whole Shaw scene. Todd's amazing as a fellow DS from Chicago, from, or at <laughs> least the suburbs in my case, represent, you know. There you go. Good to go. My only, is- my only issue with the, with the Shaw scene was that I... <laughs> Did anybody else think that it was weird that it was like, oh, we have four hours until we all die? It's like waiting for the Titanic to go down. But they all were just like, oh, we're just going to go to the holodeck and like not actively work on maybe solving this problem. That was the only thing that was bizarre to me. It's like, yeah, let's just go to the holodeck. Would they have been considered a little bit? I, I don't know if they're off duty, but I mean, Picard does say that the reason why they that the reason why that the holodeck was working is because it's like on its own separate cell right. and and it was for that reason it was to keep people sane when there was like a no win scenario but right. i mean 4 hours is a long time i feel like they could have been working on something <laughs> well i'm sure if if Jellico yeah. was on board he would have stuck them on some kind of extra shift yeah. Well, right. and there were there were people working on it, just not those half a dozen people who showed up halfway through Picard's, uh, you know, his his uh, heartfelt scene, his yeah. bonding moment. Yeah. Although there was oh, a yeah. Vulcan in the background whose uh, haircut I take exception with. It was ah. awful. I don't know. Oh. Like I don't know. <laughs> it was, oh it was yeah, not- I think I, I think I remember Vulcan. that wig. It was weird. No, no, no. It was very like it was very culinary, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was not typical. You don't know. Vulcan. Maybe he, maybe he just did colonar. That could be. That could be. Yes. <laughs> not sure. I don't know. It was yeah. just strange. Yeah. Other other strong points. You know, just just the you know again. I agree with what was said earlier about Jonathan Frakes. This was his. This is this is his best work as Riker. I think in all of Star <laughs> Trek, and you know. Uh, you, you you don't want to give the actor all the credit. I mean, the director has to have a you know part of it too, and you know, so a little bit of credit should go to Jonathan Frakes. Jonathan Frakes. Hey, how about that <laughs> for that? Um, but my God, Picard and his moments—just you know—it it was almost a little bit funny when he's giving the the rousing speech to the cadets five years ago and then flash cut to him just like mm. you could almost mm. hear the boom right of the, the of recognition the, uh, of moment the flash cut yeah yep yeah did the, anybody yeah. else notice in 10 Ford that there is a painted photo of Picard and Guinan in what looks like the Nexus ah, to me. Okay. The top of the bar, right? And I was like, who took that picture? <laughs> or did Guinan just, you know, have somebody paint it from, like, who, it's just, it was weird. I was like, the Nexus was like a dream. It was like a fever Nexus dream. Self, Nexus selfie cam. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. <laughs> selfie stick in the Nexus. Yeah. You can get anything uh, you want. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Jack from Titanic was also in the Nexus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have. He painted, um, he painted them to... like one of his French girls. <laughs> we have just a, a few more callers left, Alan. So oh, is sure. Anything else that you would like to say before we can get on to Cherie? Uh, no, just uh, very excited that everything's like I said, everything's sort of kicking into gear. I liked how this resolved. I liked the fact that everything tied into that meal from five years ago. Uh, emotionally, it was just a very solid episode and. Uh, uh, the the Bajoran flaw in this was the bucket, but uh, I'll let somebody else deal with that. So. <laughs> All right. Ah, yes, the hidden yeah. changeling bucket. Did anybody okay. notice that it was hidden like the phaser on Overload and the Conscious of the King? Mm. That, and then like the boots in Star Trek Six. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know. There's always a panel when you need one. Exactly. Yeah. Too many spaces. hiding spaces. Too many. Too many hiding spaces on Star Trek. Apparently. Man. Absolutely. Have a good night, guys. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for calling in, buddy. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All right, Cherie, what do you have for us? What's going on? Hey. Hey. Ah, so many things, but... Okay, Ah. so your volume was... You were were so excited, your volume cut out on us. (laughs) Okay. I'm very excited about the space jellyfish. Space jellyfish. Ah. All right. Okay. Space jellyfish. I love the space space jellyfish. jellyfish. I like that they... 
I liked that they were smaller. They felt more realistic. Babies. I know. (laughs) And there were a lot of them. They reminded me of, there was a, I just watched this episode of Voyager where they went through a cloud of like all these little, like singular cellular organisms that were kind of sticking to Voyager and kind of attracted to Voyager as a ship. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like a cloud of them. It wasn't just like a mm-hmm. single one. I feel so like that's... that seems vaguely familiar. I've been rewatching Voyager recently. Yeah. But I, I can't specifically I... recall that episode. I almost thought um, that they were going to do like little bitty Farpoint aliens, like little jellyfishes, like floating around. Like well, the they actual did. Farpoint. But, they're, but the actual like Farpoint jellyfish. Well, yeah. I mean, to, to to be fair, I think this is the Farpoint jellyfish. It's just yeah, they're, they're just babies. Modernized. Oh, okay. and they're smaller because they're baby. They could be the same ones. We don't know. Yeah, I thought they were going to yeah. look like the big kind of man of war dome, you know, like when it floated out. So I don't know. But those were I... those were adult space jellyfish. These are babies. Yeah, they I'm excited about them either way. Jellyfish, <laughs> new life forms, right? Like Beverly said, loved it. Yeah, yeah. I I loved that part, and I loved the kind of like this is like also kind of nice that even though it it it's like part of like the overarching story, this episode by itself, like you can watch it again. And it's just about like, it has like a sort of arch of its own. And I really like episodes like that. Like, I don't mind if there's an overarching story, but I prefer if it has kind of like a beginning and an end of its own within the episode. So like you can go back and just watch this episode without feeling like I have to watch the whole season. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I the, the ongoing part of the storyline is the fact that we see Jack at the end and there's that whole thing with the red and find me. And mm-hmm. so I, 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 I do like that there was two aspects of storytelling and that, you know, they, they actually bookended something the way that we're used to in bottle episodes, but that they're continuing the story with like a new what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I think the yeah. red woman isn't wasn't Rachel Garrett. I think the red woman is different because of the, what Jack is seeing. Like he's, there's a lot of red in his dreams. Right. And I think that eventually there's going to be something that ties into a different red woman and not the statue of Rachel Garrett that we saw on that one planet. And what would you call that? Uh, red. <laughs> Yay. Yes. Like, I passed Holly's red. test. Oh my God. I feel so good right now. <laughs> what call it? What? Sorry. The red what? A red, a red herring. herring. A misdirect in, oh. in narrative yeah, structure. Yeah, it's a misdirect. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's why we have Moyarty and coming back. <gasps> oh, yeah. <laughs> Teach us about red herring. So you <laughs> any dug the other, space... Any other you, thoughts? Yeah, you dug the space um, jellyfish. What else? I, um... So until this episode, like, I know everybody else had really liked, um... Todd Stashwick's performance. I didn't like dislike him, but I have this like contrary nature that like whenever everybody likes something, sometimes I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if it's that great. Um, but yes, in this episode, I am 100% sold. Um, his performance in this episode was amazing. Um, the monologue about Wolf 359, his clear PTSD. Um, yeah. I think that actor did an amazing job and I like 100% bought everything. Um, and like, he is kind of like a lovable, terrible person. <laughs> like he's a terrible person, but fun to he's, watch. He, yeah. He's a wonderfully flawed character, right? Yeah. And, yeah. He's a lovable I, jerk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think with Todd Stashwood coming in, I don't know him from really anything. I've never seen him before. So I know that a lot of people out there have, but I've never seen him. So he owns Shaw for me. So, you know, live or die, this is, he's making this character his own for me. And, and I think for a lot of other people too. And it's, it's easy just kind of like, just, just watch him kind of like just unfold over the course of these episodes. Like at the very first episode, when he sat there and he was like, you know, give him a card and Riker a hard time. I'm like, all right, what's up with this guy? And then, every episode there's just like one pivotal scene where you just see more and more and in this one you're just like you know that look where he's uh you know he has his hand on his cheek and he's just staring at the card with that one eye it's just it's kind of like the telltale sign you know like pose 
story about the eye that was like, you know, staring through the floor and you can hear the heartbeat and it's just taunting this, you know, the guy who, who buried this guy alive. He's just like, I know that you're out there and you're never going to like get, get relief from me. That's like, that was him, that shot. Like, I'm never going to let you not remember what you did to 11,000 people. Right. Yeah. You know? And I also think though, that like, I appreciate that he was self-aware, like he called himself like a bad person. Like he, he kind of acknowledges it. Basically. He's like, he doesn't think he's a good person. Yeah. <laughs> um, and part of that is like the survivor's guilt, which is interesting. It's almost as if it like, you kind of got to wonder if he's being a bad person on purpose. Cause of you know, the of survivor's guilt, he like doesn't believe that he deserves to live. And thus like, he's kind of like leaning into that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe. Yep. Um, one last thought, Sherry, before we let you go. We have one more caller to get to. Uh, I just also, I, I loved that Vatic is actually tied in with the changelings in this. So um, Interesting, I, huh? I think, like, it's funny because, uh, like, I thought right away that she was a changeling um, when she did the cut her little hand, her hand off and everything. Um but my sister wasn't sure about it for a little while. She came around to be like, yeah, you're probably right. She's probably a changeling. But what do you guys think about, like? I, I think that she's a new Vorta, a new type of Vorta. <laughs> so I was I, not surprised that they're making her a changeling. That doesn't surprise me. What I have more questions about is the scarring on her face, because the, that's the same scarring that we saw on Sneed's face before his head got chopped off. So I have I have more questions about her um that I think is going to be more surprising than just that she's also a changeling. Right. Yeah. Well, let's see what the chat has to say. Hopefully you got an answer for us sometime. <laughs> but uh sure we're going to have to let you go. Thanks Yay. for calling. Um great Thanks. seeing you again as always and uh we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Bye. And uh Bye. coming up as anchor man, we have John Arminio in the blue room. Show. Hey What's there. Up, good to see you. Good to see you. How's it going? Good, man. It's been a while. So uh, yeah. how have you been? How are you enjoying Picard? Um, yeah, this season has, has been uh, fantastic. I think far superior to the first two seasons, which uh, made me mad in a variety of ways. But I just have to echo everybody's praise for especially this episode. I thought the acting was great. Um, you know, Freaks, his directing and acting in particular. Mm. Um, but I do hope we get some of that emotional resonance that Frakes was able to give us in this performance with Marina Sirtis. Like, I, I hope we get to see them act together as the mourning parents of a dead child instead of just having Riker mourn via Picard. Yeah. Um, because if if we don't get that sort of payoff, it's another echo of how Troy was sort of like underwritten or written out of next generation in, in a lot of ways. And I think as the mother of the child, she deserves to mourn just as much as, as Riker does. Um, and so I'm just hoping we get to see her featured more prominently in, in future episodes. Yeah. I, I really did love the scene at the end where he was trying to, he was trying yeah. You know, and and uh, I think that's all she really wanted him to do was to, is just to try, right? Mm -hmm. To try and access those feelings because, you know, you know, they've been through much, so much together, and 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 in turn, like as the audience, we've been on this same emotional kind of like uh, journey with them, and uh, just to see them torn apart because you know he's lost the capacity to feel, and all she does is feel. It, yeah. It's it's such an interesting contrast in in this relationship because of of you know. All the way back to encounter at Farpoint, you know, when they when they first came on screen together, and uh, mm -hmm. it's it's heartbreaking because it it, it just seems so real. I think that's one the one thing yep. that really kind of like just took me aback, took the wind out of my sails, is how real they feel together. Like before, it was very scripted and very well acted, but now they just feel real. They feel like they're just so seasoned and so settled into an actual real relationship that it's hard to separate their characters versus kind of like the real emotions of if these two people were actually real mm -hmm. you now. And, and it's nice to see that, you know, that uncanny valley be bridged between, you know, fiction and reality. Um, I think yeah. that's why it's so emotional. 
Yeah, I think with the ages of these characters and these actors, they bring a resonance that they sort of couldn't bring as as younger people, as, as younger actors, because mm. there's just all this tragedy they've experienced. And I think, you know, that was some of the weakness of the first two seasons is that when we first meet Riker and Troy in the first season, it's like, oh, by the way, there's a dead child that we, that we buried that you didn't see. And it, we just sort of like move on. And so I think it's a credit to the writing staff of the season that they're sort of trying to, you know, rope in, oh, this backstory that we just kind of glossed over with the present plot. And I think so far they're doing a pretty exceptional job of, of that. How do you feel um, about kind of like this, this, this obvious kind of like demarcation between seasons two and three, where season three is specifically being done and, and manufactured in a way that yep. is supposed to be the next generation, like season eight. I mean, <laughs> you know, mixed feelings. I, I think, you know, anytime, I think both, a lot of these legacy franchises are having trouble with how far can we take the story with nostalgia and how much should we move forward? How much are we going to alienate fans if we move forward? But we also need to gain new fans with new stories. And, you know, these actors, especially Patrick Stewart, they can't go forever. Um, but I think when it's executed this well, um, I, I can't really argue with the results. If you had just described the story to me without me seeing it, I would probably have dismissed it but i was pretty dismissive of a strange new world before before i saw it and i love the hell out of that first season um so i think if as long as you're executing well then i think i'm all for it i I think one thing that i have been thinking about you know i've made no secret of the sort of um sour taste deep space nine left with me Mm -hmm. but I am wondering if Deep Space Nine fans are feeling left out in the cold because, you know, the Dominion War and the Changelings featured so heavily in the ongoing story of Deep Space Nine. And now it seems like TNG fans and the TNG cast are going to be leaving the final stamp on the story of the Changelings because I haven't heard any sort of revamp of Deep Space Nine characters or like there's comic books of Cisco coming back, but... There's certainly no Cisco story coming. Somebody mentioned in the chat, where's Miles O'Brien and all these cameos? So it, it seems yeah, like... Where's Julian? Yeah. Yeah, if so, we're going to have Section 31, why not get Bashir in there? So It just seems strange that if we're going to introduce the Changelings and bring back all these cast members, we're bringing no one from a lot of people's favorite Star Trek show. Uh, but so, we did get to see a picture of Renee in this episode, which I did, appreciate. Which was great. That yeah. was like season one, Odo, mm-hmm. right? You know, we were yeah. still a little on the yes, yeah. not changeling side. So to interpret what you're saying, just to boil it down. So you're saying that it's possible that Riker is going to once again co-opt another series <laughs> possible finale with a next generation story as opposed to the actual series story completing that actual story. I've never seen yeah. that done before in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, for the for the absolute first time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. those were different voyages. These are completely new voyages. So, those were the voyages. I don't know about what's going to happen with this series. I'm being completely facetious with yes. surprise. Everyone knows that. So, um, <laughs> uh, we're, we are going a little late, but I wanted to mm-hmm. give you a, like uh, one more one more nugget or two to share before we wrap up the show. Um. Uh, just just one more shout out to to Shaw and and his character because uh, when he started his monologue about Wolf three five nine, you know, it's like oh, it's another guy who's pissed off at at Picard for this thing that happened, you know, thirty years ago. But by the end of it, you know, I was heartbroken. So I, I just think it's a testament to how one well written new character can just change the paradigm of this show that's been on for for decades and so you know credit to you know again the writer and the performers for giving us star trek fans a new character we can love and hate 
and love to hate. Well, he's generating a lot of chat, which is great because it's it's yeah. nice that we have a new character to be able to kind of you know yeah. uh, kind of dissect and you know kind of figure out like what's going on with him. And I, I think you know for for all his credit, I think that Todd is just he's just really stepped into the role kind of fearlessly mm-hmm. and is making this character like one for the books, right? Um, I, I really don't have much more to say. It's going to be interesting to see like where he is. Yeah. And I think that it's, um, I don't know, Holly, maybe, maybe you feel differently, but where Shaw, I think is succeeding as a new character. I don't think that they've actually given that kind of uh, quality of writing to um, Ed Spleris, you know, cause this Jack Crusher is kind of flat on the page right now. Right. Well, I mean, but we are learning. We did. I feel like with, with both of them, we're going to get small pieces of information about their background. I mean, you know, we saw the scene, which is why I understood why they were in 10 forward, even though they were in a crisis. But it was to tie in the fact that, you know, Jack decided not to, to know his father. And as it turns out, it's because Picard said something kind of terrible, not mm-hmm. knowing that that was his son. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, they're just these tidbits that uh, that are being dropped. Obviously, we know more about Shaw at this point, um, but I feel like the writers are going to handle Jack the same way. Well, he's probably and a little bit more long game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, for sure. They're both long game that we're yeah. going to learn about their, their pasts. So uh, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I love character development. <laughs> Me too. And, and Me just too. real quick, in addition to the character development, which what Holly was saying is that th- that's something that I don't think Picard actually believes because we've seen how broken he was, you know, when he lost his family in Star Trek Generations and, and he's certainly shown regret for never having children. So that's him living the performance of Picard for these cadets. And right. because he couldn't be honest with them in that moment, he, as a result, could not be honest with his son or, or himself. So I thought for a character that we've seen decades of development with, it was another great piece of characterization. So I really appreciated that. Yep. On that note, perfect. I think that's a perfect way to end the show. Thank you, John, for, again, that's a fantastic insight. Um, Thank you. Gl- glad to see you on the show again. I hope to see you again sometime soon. <laughs> and uh, that's it. That's our show. That's a fast hour, isn't it, Holly? Yeah, always. I'm like, how are we going to squeeze everything in? And we always we always do it. We always get to discuss everything that we want to discuss. And there's no awkward gaps. It's it's always surprising to me that we have endless things to talk about. Well, I think that's great about like the new series. It always again, it, it gives us like these characters that we think we know. Then we end up finding something new sometimes like the f-bomb sometimes surprising sometimes uh in in a brand new character and i think that right now for the first couple episodes i was a little apprehensive but after three and four like i said this is kind of like you know frakes is doing like he's just doing double duty and he's doing it well and um i hope that that momentum goes into episode five which uh, holly and john are going to talk about next week so here we are just want to let you know that mission log live is produced by roddenberry entertainment technical production on mission log and mission log live is done by the earl of the green of the room be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from roddenberry podcasts if you'd like to support mission log directly give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log thanks holly for being here thank you for this very quick hour it was awesome it was jam-packed it was a lot of fun with these really awesome discussions and thank you to all of you in the chat for being here we look forward to reviewing the next episode of star trek card with holly and john next week on mission log live and we'll see you be good be safe and enjoy the next episode this is a roddenberry podcast for more great podcasts visit podcast.roddenberry.com